0: All right, well, uh, this week we are finishing uh, this three-week vision series we've quite uncreatively titled Past, Present, Future. Describing the past, the present, and the future of our church. <laughs> um, and as we stepped past the year and a half mark, which we just did as a church community, we are um, in, in, the pro- and we're in the process of regathering, you know, and, and we wanna just emphasize it, it, it is a process. Um, I think in the early days of the pandemic, many of us imagined like there would just be this magical day whenever, uh, thus saith the Lord, it was easy to like, no, we're back. Like everyone's back together, it's normal, and it's, it's gonna be a rolling, coming and going, people drifting in and out of what they're comfortable with for, for good reason um, process of regathering after over a year at least separated from one another in various ways. And so this this felt like a crucial time especially as we're heading into the fall, what's like typically, traditionally, like start of a new ministry year um, to revisit. Where have we been? What did God do in this community over the first year and a half? And if you missed that sermon, go back and listen to it. We got to hear from about 10 folks in the community. It was super encouraging. Um, to talk about the opportunities we have at present, specifically just around community that Josh shared last week, I thought really beautifully. Um, and and uh, e- even, at As a young church and as a relatively small church, what opportunity is there for us to really lean in with one another? And now to cast some vision for the future. So we did a vision series. It was time for all that, so we did a vision series. And we've done a couple of vision sermons before, and we'll do more later. Uh, But if I'm honest, uh, seriously, I, I just kind of have an aversion to like vision, Christian like vision series, vision sermons. Um, for a number of reasons. For one, as a preacher, I usually just feel more comfortable and honestly more excited about like exegeting and applying and digging into a set passage of scripture from a whole book of the Bible like we're doing with the Gospel of Mark, rather than trying having to be creative. We we know how it turns when I try to be creative. (laughs) (laughs) So I just stay in my lane, you know, Um, rather than trying to forge something compelling on my own. For another, uh, it's it's really easy for these vision series to kind of become rote or routine or okay, here comes the fall time for the vision series. I've heard this a million times. Kinds of things that just feel like they're being given to check a box, and and where that box comes from, I don't know, but I know that it exists. <laughs> like, vision series box, um, and then finally. Um, sometimes these vision series, that there can be an expectation around them that, that they have to be these sort of highly exciting, full of charisma, inspiring, dare I say sexy, <laughs> sermons. We'll see how it goes. That deliver like this new message pointing to a new direction or phrasing things in a new way that nobody's ever heard of before. And honestly, this one's intimidating. Uh, Because on the spectrum of of sort of preaching styles and even personality types, I know I'm not the most exciting, or the most charismatic, or the most inspirational. And honestly, sometimes I wonder if if knowing that about myself keeps me from really trying to like step out there and and deliver vision for fear of it falling flat, quite quite honestly. And at the same time, while I certainly want to grow in those areas and, and, and work to grow in those areas, I know and I hope you know in our better moments that healthy churches aren't built fundamentally on things like charisma. They're built by, on, and for King Jesus and his saving gospel and when we try to build them on anything else, the whole thing eventually goes sideways. Yes, sir. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't work to be winsome and compelling but merely that winsomeness and compellingness will never be the foundation of a healthy church. Listen to the words of Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. I'll just read it for you. Uh, Paul writes, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, that's Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this passage says a lot of things. It's a complex passage, beautiful passage, but what I want to point out is that this points us to the fact that Jesus alone is the head of the church. And, and the church is his body meant to carry out his goals and his purposes, even his vision out in the world. And he is powerful enough to overstep, to override, to overcome any of our shortcomings as individuals or as a community. So if we want to build towards a future that's actually healthy, that's actually durable, that's actually in step with his purposes, it has to be rooted in the things like essential things, like the gospel, the cross, abiding intimacy with him, commitment to the fundamentals of the faith, like self-giving love, evangelism, discipleship, together as a community, things that all churches for all times are supposed to be about. And, you know, depending on where you come from, we're, we're... Probably, for most of you, we we strike you as a relatively small church. And I don't know how much we're going to grow in terms of conversions, in terms of staff size, in terms of numbers, in terms of budget, or whatever metric we might want to uh, evaluate church growth with. Only God knows that. And only God is in control of that. Um, And that's pretty freeing. But I know that when, when we're lean in terms of the number of leaders and community members that we have that call this place home, it forces a laser-like focus on what's most essential. With more people, you can cover the things that you must do and then do a bunch of other things too, you know? Just, you've got the, you've got the money, you've got the budget, you've got the people, to just kind of throw, oh yeah, maybe we should do this, maybe we should do that. When you're small, you have to be doggedly committed to the things that you must do as a local church, there's just not room for the other things. So what must we do? What must we be about? How do we answer that question? We've already said we have to be about Jesus, his gospel, his kingdom, his rule, his grace. Uh, We could answer the question maybe by talking about the four pillars of Door of Hope which Josh mentioned last week and which we will continue to talk about regularly because they flow out of scripture and they point us in a healthy direction as a church. And they remind us of the cruciality of those four key ideas that I think are beautiful. They're part of it, what drew me to Door of Hope when I started attending years ago, which is the cross, community, simplicity, and a missionary focus on our city uh, and that, that these things inform all that we do. But as I've been thinking and talking and praying over the last few months about kind of these things and where God might be leading us as we consider the future of a church, a few things have come to mind. They've continued to come to mind again and again. Some of these are things that came to mind years before we even planted this church. Um, But specifically, I wanna offer five things that I'm absolutely certain we must be about and must grow into by the grace of God over this next season of life together. Um, This is kind of a wordy thing, but you could call these five crucial facets of our future selves. And I wanna highlight this is by the grace of God only (laughs) that these things can happen or will happen. So five crucial facets of our future selves. When you think about who are we going to be in the future, I think these are five things that must be true of us if we're going to be a healthy church in any honest sense of the word. So we'll try to move through them quickly. Five things can be a lot, um, but we'll give it our best shot. Um, The first thing is this. We have to be a present community, committed to showing up, Um, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And honestly, for the past year and a half, it has been easy to neglect meeting together. And and honestly, in in the early days of the pandemic, our elders believed and still do that that there was great wisdom in foregoing certain ways of meeting and not getting the big group here together in the building. Um, But not with the mindset of not meeting at all, which is why we had digital community groups and house churches and groups meeting in backyards and doing whatever we could to cling to meeting together, even when certain many of the forms we were used to were unavailable. So. Yeah, we, we did all that we could to honor this command, to not neglect meeting together. And as I mentioned in the little update that went out uh, on the podcast like a few weeks ago, we, we, we know, hear, hear this, we know that some of you are still, I guess I'll look at the computer, or computer, I'll look at the cameras. We know that some of you are unable to be here right now for very good reason. Um, and I just, I wanna say, we see you, not physically, but we, <laughs> metaphorically, we see you. We love you. Um, we, we, we want you to know that, that you are part of this family, even if you can't be here in this building. Um, so, there you go. I just full stop. Also, um, that said, we, we can all still take a step forward in commitment to be present in whatever ways you can, even if it's exclusively through, through technology for another stretch of time. So I know for many of us, it was like, you know, the live stream thing, oh, that's cool, we can do that. And then it's difficult when you've got kids at home, as, as we've even tried to do the stuff, like, man, kids at home trying to watch a church video service, it just turns into like, A brawl, basically, with like Bible verses in the background uh, half the time. Um, Not the most worshipful environment, so I I get that. We experience that. It's really hard. But nonetheless, if if you've begun to drift from, oh yeah, you know, I know the live stream thing is there, but whatever, I'll listen to it when we can. Like, take a step, commit. Like, our our church gathers at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. So the reason we do the live stream live is that so you can gather with us in a sense, 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, and we've stopped. Uh, Leaving that full service up after Sunday morning for this reason start drawing us back even if it's just a small step of like back to 10 a.m in your living room We're doing it together Whatever that looks like one small step forward back to presence back to presence with one another Even if it's through technology Um, And I, I said it I said it as well, I'll say it again, but, but many of us have begun to step out from kind of the, the early pandemic like lockdown mode into relationships and into community. Um, and that's beautiful, that's great. You know, getting back out into restaurants, if you feel ready and able to do that, that's wonderful. Um, but uh, this is a call right now, if you're doing that, if you've begun to kind of take some of those calculated risks to prioritize this community in those risks. This community, the family of God, Um, And not just Sunday, but the community life of this church. Uh, Even to just the relationships themselves and to meeting up with one another face-to-face and in person if you're doing that at all. to, to, To make these the first relationships that you would do that with. That's what we mean. Don't neglect meeting together. And. Spoiler, all five of these are probably going to have this flavor of like, really? That's (laughs) something as simple as that? Be present? Okay. Uh, It might seem simple or obvious to the point of being boring. Um, But I love this quote. There's uh, this wonderful book. Some of us in this room were, some of y'all were in the book club that I was in this summer. A few of us from the church did this book, Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. She's an Anglican priest. She's kind of become one of my favorite Christian voices writing right now. I love the way she describes this in her book, Uh, again, it's called Liturgy of the Ordinary. So, She compares the simple act of just showing up for the Word of God and communion to the nourishment that meals provide, and here's what she says. She says, there are a few very good meals I remember, and there are a few truly terrible meals I remember. But most of the meals I've eaten, thousands upon thousands, were utterly unremarkable. If you asked me what I ate for lunch three weeks ago on Monday, I could not tell you. Uh, yet that average forgettable meal nourished me. Thousands of forgotten meals have brought me to today. They've sustained my life. They were my daily bread. So how should we respond when we find the word? and? stepping out of her quote, and we might expand this to include the whole Christian life in community together. What do we do when we find these things perplexing or dry or boring or unappealing? We keep eating. We receive nourishment. We keep our listening and learning and taking our daily bread, and we wait on God to give us what we need to sustain us one more day. We acknowledge here that, here is far more one, that there is far more wonder in this life of worship than we have yet eyes to see or stomachs to digest, and we receive what he has set before us today as a gift. It's a beautiful quote. I think it applies to the whole of the Christian life. It's easy for this stuff to become rote. It's easy to walk away from church like, I don't know if I encountered Jesus in any significant way, but nonetheless, If the word of God was preached and you were able to to respond, at least in a small way to him, you were nourished. You were nourished. And the living, the sustaining of a life, is it happens in these small, seemingly mundane instances of nourishment. So the call is to, to show up, to keep eating, to keep finding that simple nourishment together around God's word in worship, together in community, that will keep your faith alive, alive over a lifetime. And so today, whether you're, you know, where, wherever you're at with sort of COVID risk or whatever else, just consider taking one step forward into presence and commitment. That's the call. May we be a community that is deeply committed to showing up. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, number two is a goodness community committed to Christ-likeness. Again, sounds a little obvious. I, I, I read, read Galatians 5, verses 20 through, 22 through 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What I want to highlight here is that the sheep, which is all of us, ought to reflect their shepherd, which is Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate spirit-filled man, and even more than that, he shared in that tri-unity as the second person of the Godhead. He's the son of God. Do you want to know what the spirit's full control over a human being looks like? Look at Jesus. And that's why we're taking so much time to go through the Gospel of Mark, so we can just get a nice thorough look at Jesus. And read, read the, Wow, well, you don't have the scripture. I'll read it to you again. Don't let this become rote. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what the world needs more of. This is what you need more of. This is what I need more of. That's the fruit of God's spirit in a human life. So once again, why bring this up? Isn't it boringly obvious that churches should be places of Christ-likeness and places of goodness, if we were to simplify it all down? Well, one would hope so, right? But churches, sadly, often become places of abuse of power, of deception, of darkness, so many times of protecting leaders or members in their sin rather than protecting the people they're sinning against. And I just want to... This is different from a church being viewed as evil unjustly because it's being faithful to the teachings of Jesus in word and deed. That's a separate issue, just to clarify. But man, churches can get it sideways. Every few months you see some tragic high-profile case of a church or a pastor or a leader blowing it, harming, like spiritually abusing their congregation and then find the whole power mechanism of the church activating to protect that leader in their sin so they don't have to face accountability. And I have to confess that these stories of churches called to be places of faith and repentance, places of grace and mercy, places of truth and confession, places of joy and peace, places of goodness and righteousness, Places of humility and service becoming places hell-bent on protecting people's sin and their evil and their injustices. These stories are the most significant sources of doubt in my Christian life. That's my confession to you. Check in on me next time one of these things blows up because I might be having a mini crisis of faith. I'm going, is Jesus even real if pastors are doing this to their people? That's what goes on in my heart. There's this really good book um, that came out. Uh, Josh Wilder, I think, led a book club through it. We might do a whole church-wide book club on it at some point. It's called, uh, it's called Gentle and Lowly by a guy named Dane Ortland. It's a, it's a beautiful book. It's a book about Jesus. And it, it's, it's just it's about those, ca- those aspects of Jesus' character that, that fundamentally who he was in so many ways was this gentle and lowly king, lowly savior. Who, who rules in, in that kind of character. And the book is kind of, I think it's a huge seller. It's kind of blown up. Um, it's left a big mark. I think it's only been out for a year or so. But, but uh, I, I, saw, I saw a great uh, tweet, I'm not even on Twitter, um, but I, I sometimes stumble across these things. Um, a great tweet from a guy named Sam Alberry. He's, he's a wonderful uh, theologian. Um, commend his work to you. But here, here's his tweet, I'll just let it speak for itself. Sam Alberry tweeted, a thought is haunting me. I wonder if a reason why Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lonely has struck people as so fresh and so surprising is because in so many of our churches, we would never have known from how we're shepherded that the heart of Christ is indeed gentle and lowly. might lose it, from how we experience the shepherding, the, the hands and feet of Jesus shepherding in our actual lives is so utterly unlike the character of Jesus, that we, we're shocked when we learn that he's supposed to be this way, that he is this way. We're called to be a community of goodness. <laughs> door of hope. And I sinned. I'll fall. You'll fall. We'll hurt each other. And the whole point of the gospel is that there's grace. So this is not like we're to be a sinlessly perfect community, because that doesn't exist. Grace from God is my only hope, the same as it is yours. But If I'm found to disqualify myself from leadership, may I be removed quickly and efficiently for your sake. Or anybody else, a community group leader, another pastor, another volunteer, whatever. We're gonna be committed to goodness at Door of Hope Northeast. The point here is that we want the flavor the scent, the essence of this church to be that of Jesus. In all his justice and in all his mercy, in all his truth and in all his grace, that when each of us comes to a gathering or a community group or is even in a late night backyard conversation with a sister or a brother from this community, we're learning something about the God, the one who alone is fully, perfectly good. Simply from being in a community formed toward his goodness May we be a community that's committed to this and how the church is structured how the pastors pastor How the leaders lead and how we gather and how we counsel and how we do life together. Amen Amen. Amen. Number three A discipleship community Committed to growth, committed to growth. Um, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, these verses are called the Great Commission, and they've been widely recognized as the, the key primary marching orders that Jesus left his disciples, and by extension, are marching orders now as his disciples in 2021. For all Christians, until he returns, this is the task. And, and it includes some promises and, and a command. The promises are that he has all authority. He declares, I have all authority in heaven and on earth given to him by the father and he promises that he will be with his people to the end of the age he doesn't leave us alone in the task but he is with us and given those two powerful realities he tells the disciples to go and make disciples everywhere and and then there are two main categories that fall underneath so it's go make disciples and he describes that in two ways here they are one is baptizing And that implies sharing the good news with new people and seeing new people come into the faith, new people entering the family, finding salvation in Jesus, and then being baptized as a public declaration of that faith. And then the second thing is teaching. Teaching them, listen, no small task here, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded That's the long-term work of helping people grow into maturity in Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, learning to submit more and more and more of our lives to him, putting sin to death, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, discovering and utilizing one's spiritual gifts for the good of the community, being transformed more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. And what happens if we neglect either side of this thing? Well, you've got the evangelism only church. That's, that's one way you can fall off into this, or that's kind of tied up with kind of the seeker-sensitive church philosophy. It's a community that's a mile wide but an inch deep. It, it, it ultimately gets eaten up by the outside world because you're really, it's really exciting and attracts people for a short number of time. It, it doesn't disciple them deeply to be able to withstand the temptations and the winds of doctrine that are constantly blowing. Um, you get people fired up to say something about Jesus, but they might end up with nothing to say of substance. It ignores the calls to actually being formed into Christ-likeness and solid food, in the words of Paul. It can often become communities that are open to serious charges of hypocrisy because they don't reflect Christ. And this starts with what are so-called seeker-sensitive sensibilities but often ends up with a, a, a sort of Um, worldly co-opted theology, either of the conservative variety or the progressive variety, that's emptied itself of everything that's challenging or controversial in the Bible to the point where it no longer recognizably is Christian in any historic sense. And it may have a lot of new and excited people, but once they begin to desire depth, they'll go somewhere else. On the flip side, There's the spiritual growth-only church, which at its worst can become ingrown and impenetrable. There can be a lack of excitement, a, a sterility about it. No one new is being invited in. No one even knows how to lovingly engage with someone who's from a different walk of life or doesn't believe the things that they believe. So never rubbing shoulders. Just learn how to be a human in a city like Portland and have friends outside of the church community, which we all should have. It can foster a disinterest or a fear or a hatred of people who don't follow Jesus. It Gets disconnected from God's mission to seek and save the lost. It can devolve into theological pettiness, elevating secondary or tertiary issues up into like, ah, oh, if we don't protect this thing, then all is lost. And these churches may have a lot of educated people, but once they begin to cultivate a heart for the lost, they'll go elsewhere. Those are two dangers. But if we're faithful in both, in in discipling people everywhere along that spectrum, from the lost to the young believer to the mature believer, there's room for them to grow and move, then we become a balanced word and deed faith community. We're intentionally and effectively a part of God's rescue mission. And evangelism fuels our growth as a community, and our growth fuels our evangelism. And it allows us to be hated for the right reasons. Jesus says, you'll be hated. You'll be hated for me. There's a good kind of hatred we can receive just by being faithful to Jesus in a day and age that's out of step with his values. And there's a bad way Christians can be hated. Because we're jerks. (laughs) Because we don't care about people. Because we're misrepresenting Jesus, the list could go on and on. But this kind, of, uh, this kind of community will be one that's at least hated for the right reasons, hopefully. So, may we be a community that's deeply committed to discipleship for the non-believer into the new believer into the established believer. Amen. Amen. Fourth one: a leading community. Committed to plurality, and you can maybe italicize the word community on this one, because that's kind of where the emphasis on that phrase lies. But Ephesians 4, Josh read this for us last week, verses 11 and 12, it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Couple key observations here. One is that he gave a variety of gifts to equip the saints, not just one, No one person has all that it takes to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Number two, notice who actually does the ministry at the end of the day. It's not even these gifted leaders, it's the saints. It's the whole body working together, doing the ministry and building up the body of Christ. And Josh did a wonderful job, I thought, of sharing from this passage last week, so my thoughts here will be quick, but I do really want to emphasize that the whole idea of unified diversity within the church goes every direction, including to the leadership of this church. And so this passage and others like it show us that churches are meant to be led by communities of leaders and not by any one sole individual. So in his letters, Paul would tell young pastors like Timothy or Titus to appoint elders, plural, point elders to help lead the church that he started, the churches that he started. In the gospels, the disciples were often sent out two by two or in small groups uh, to do ministry. Um, In Acts, the various missionaries would go out in teams as well. So leadership in in the New Testament, I think, is meant to be plural. And yes, everybody has different roles and functions, but I I, I I think God in his grace (laughs) recognizes the inability of any one person and how twisted it can be when all decision-making filters back to them. So um, I want all of us to understand that the leadership structure of this church is made up of various communities. So there's the elder team, of course, and then there's the staff team, functions a little bit differently. And then there's hopefully a growing, even teaching team that we want to see made up of elders and deacons, staff and non-staff, men and women. And we want our key volunteer leaders like community group leaders, room leaders in the kids' rooms, various other ministry leaders and ministry owners to be viewed and, and to view themselves as genuine leaders in this community. This is a team effort. And of course, each, each of these different teams have different roles and responsibilities, but together we are leading the church and not just me. And that is a good thing for you, I promise. Because I can't do it. Don't have the gifts, I don't have the wisdom, don't have the energy, don't have the time to do everything that would be necessary. But all of us together, we can lead this somewhere beautiful, I believe. So may we be a community that is deeply committed to the biblical picture of a plurality of leadership and the empowerment of spiritual gifts. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last one. A multiplying community, committed to sending. Um, I'll read from Acts 20. This is verses 17 through 24. It says, now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. Here's the key verse for now. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The, the, if you keep reading, you'll see this is a beautiful passage that captures the emotion of both the beauty and the pain of what happens when Christians are generous about sending and separating for mission, for the mission of God, which is what we're what we're all meant to be about. A sign of a healthy church is when it is open handed with the leaders that it has in the name of seeing the gospel go where it currently isn't. And this was the story of Door of Hope Northeast. I will never forget how freely Josh White and the elders at Door of Hope Southeast were for the whole year leading up to the planting of this community with these impassioned calls. Like, hey, we're starting this church. Um, you should go. If you live in Northeast, you should go. If you are, you know, have a close relationship with Cameron or Susanna or any of the other leaders that are going, you should go. If you just want to go do something new, you should go. I will never forget the generosity and the guts that took for for that team of leaders to, to, to tell many of you, go. The gospel is more important than any one person or even clinging to the numbers of, number of people that we have here. And I, I've said this to some of you, uh, it haunts me to think about when the day comes, will I have the courage, will we have the courage to say the same thing? Like, go with God, go where the mission needs you. Even if it leaves holes here, to be generous with people. It's a challenge to us to be that same way. So I just want to say it now, and you have to hold us to it. By, gra- by God's grace, we will be a church that embraces the pain of sending our beloved sisters and brothers out to take the gospel to other parts of Portland, to our country, and to the world. Um, so we want to see the Door of Hope family grow in Portland. I don't know. We have no timeline plans, but maybe someone in this room will be You know, helping pioneer a door of hope East Portland or a door of hope Southwest or whatever it is. Um, And some of you will feel the call to go and be a part of that burgeoning community to help it find its footing. And that will be a good, good thing. Um, We want to see that happen. We want to see missionaries and church planters sent from here Uh, to to other places in the U.S. and around the world. And we actually have some really exciting developments in both of these areas uh, that we'll be talking about super soon, in the next month or so. Um, But we just want to see this. We want to be a community like the early church that was committed to multiplying and sending even our best people because God's mission is worth it, and he will continue to provide all that we need. So may we be a community that's deeply committed to an open-handed generosity with our people and with our resources to see the saving gospel of Jesus go where it's needed. Amen? Amen. So that's it. These are five absolutely crucial facets of our future selves. I don't know if we are all of these things currently, but I know that by the grace of God, we must become all five of these things if we're going to be healthy if we're going to honor the lord so it's i it's not the most i hope none of this is like shockingly new or or anything like that that wasn't really the goal the thing is to say we we need to uh, strive toward in this next season of a church life our church life together to be these kinds of essential things, to be this kind of essential community that's committed to the things we must do and be for the sake of health, both here and multiplying outward. So right now, we're going to pray. We're going to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and ask him to make these things a reality because I can't force it. You can't force it. There's no one that can force this. This has to be a divine act of God. So let's ask him.